So good evening. All right, happy Sabbath. All right, it is, is it Sabbath now? It is. All right, it is Sabbath. What a way to open the Sabbath. I, I remember, you know, when I first transferred, I went to public school my whole life, and then I transferred to Southern in the middle of the year. Southern Adventist University, if you don't know what Southern is, it's now, you know, Southern Adventist University, and they had the thing called Vespers. And I remember my first Vespers that I went to. And just the feel, it's just, it was just different. Um, and I loved it. Um, it was just, yeah, I mean, you know that feeling. And, and I know some people, they would, they would have Vespers dates where you would ask somebody out to go to Vespers to you, which I never did. Well, there was one time as a sort of a joke, but I never went on a Vespers date because I didn't want to take away from just the worship feeling of Vespers. It was just such a great time. I want you to sing with me. You know the song. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Father, may the Spirit be here. Lord, may we learn, may we grow, and may we glorify your name tonight. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. When I was in Korea in 2001, on September the 12th in Korea, because they, are, they were 12 or 13 hours ahead of where, well, probably 13 here. I'm thinking Eastern time. I grew up on Eastern time. My roommate, who was a South African, said, did you hear what happened in America? I said, no, I just woke up. He, and he showed me on his computer, because he had one in his room, and there were the two little twin towers, and they were smoking. And I saw towers go down. And I'd go and I'd turn on the TV, because there was one channel in English that played, and it was the, the AFV, I think that was a, AFN, AFN, Air Force Network. The Air Force Network. And every morning, they had the Today Show. But I was watching it 12 hours later. So I started watching the Today Show every day. And, and right after 9-11 is when I got hooked. Like I wanted to see the news of what's happening in my own country. Well, as the years have gone by, do you remember during 9-11 who, who the Today Show hosts were? The man was Matt Lauer, who has just recently left. Do you remember who the lady, his co-anchor was? Katie Couric. And I actually noticed that I started, I was sad when Katie Couric left. Do you guys remember who replaced her? Uh, no, it wasn't Savannah yet. Uh, it was Meredith, what's her last name? Sierra. Sierra. Yeah, Meredith. And then after her was Ann Curry, 
right? Isn't that it? No, uh, that's Katie Kirk. It's Anne, whatever. Anne, something. All right. Okay, so I was right. And then after her was Savannah, and then now we have Savannah and Hoda. But I've, I realized that I became sort of emotionally attached to the Today Show until this last year, the last year and a half. The election did something to me. Man, this, the whole campaign, the election, I am not a very political person in my heart. I've never really been involved. But then to see it every day, and then after the election, every day about our president, just every day, I got tired. I am so newsed out. I actually, I actually started watching the CBS this morning or whatever it is, and I'm like, oh, it's not the same as the Today Show, but I just can't stand the news right now. And I really, yeah, amen, but it's so sad. It's so sad because what did it was the campaign. You know, to be a politician, I, I believe to be a politician, or at least what they have ex were examples to me, is that you need to boast of everything that you do well. And you need to hide everything you don't do well. You need to boast of what you do well, or at least pretend to be, and you need to hide the stuff that you don't want out. You know, that's the same, that's the same with dating. You know that? Do you know that uh, my, I used to work with, at my previous church, our young adult pastor was actually, his, his, doctor, his doctorate degree was not in ministry. It was actually, actually in psychology. And he would, when we would talk about dating, because he was dealing with young adults, I was dealing with, with youth, he would say, you know, people can mask. They can mask who they really are for about up to a year. And it, it's, it might not be just all on them that they're hiding it. It might be that you're sort of blind to it, that you're ignoring things to this. You know, uh, I read an article recently that was talking about this, and it was, it was talking about eight red flags. So, so this is for you and all you single people out there, right, that are, will eventually maybe get married. And it said, and this one said, what experts are saying are the eight red flags of going into a dating relationship. Number one, here's red flag number one. You might want to, are you taking notes right here? Number one, you justify their bad behavior. Now, everybody around you knows that that's bad, but you justify it. Have you had friends that do this? Number two, they don't want to talk through issues. Number three, they are constantly testing your boundaries. And that's not just in the physical realm. It's, you know, they want to get married before you want to get married. They want to, they want to set up a joint bank account before you want to. All, this thing, all these things they want to do, and they pressure you to do this. They have massive, a massive sense of entitlement. 
Man, that's just a problem, not just in dating. Number five, was I on four? Yeah, number five, something, just something in your gut feels wrong. That's a red flag. If something just doesn't feel quite right. Number six, everything's about them. That's a red flag. If everything revolves around them, that is a red flag. Number seven, they are overly critical about their previous partners. So these, whoever they dated before, there was, oh, it was their fault because they did this and this and this. And number eight is they constantly deny and criticize or dismiss you. Again, it's almost that the same thing follows. I lift myself up in what I do well, but if I do have bad behavior, we need to hide it. And we mask it for as long as we can until the other person is hooked. Now, if you go to Matthew chapter 6, I think this is exactly what he's saying here. Matthew chapter 6. Remember, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. We've already done the Beatitudes. We've already done the salt and the light. We've already done what the heart of the law is. But he starts off this way, in just in verse 1. Be careful not to do acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, if you remember the context, just in chapter 5, remember we were talking about the politicians like to hide what they don't do well and boast of what they do well. I was going to say do do well, but I think it's just boast of what they do well. Remember the previous, he says this. You've heard from old that if you go with, lie with another person outside of your spouse, that is adultery. But that is not it for adultery. If you in your heart have hidden it, that you are lusting after people of the opposite sex, it is the same thing. And he says this, if you, if you've been told of old, if you murder somebody, that that is a sin, that is against the Lord. But if you hide hatred within your heart, it is the same thing. And he goes through and he says, all of these things that I'm listing, I'm going to list stuff that you have heard of old that are outward. But there are sins that we hide that are inward. And it's the same damage that's being done. So people, and we all do this, I mean, let's be honest. We all like to put our best foot forward and hide what we don't want people to see, our weaknesses. 
And so we hide them. And we spend a lot of effort hiding them. And I do wonder if that's what creates secret sins within our church. You know, that there are, there are just people that are struggling with stuff. And because we go through that cycle of, well, we need to put our best foot forward and not show what's really going on in my heart, then real transformation can't happen. You understand that, right? If you're just going to hide everything, real transformation cannot happen that way. All you have is a facade of Christianity. So that's the hiding part. But he says, hey, when you do acts of righteousness, don't do that just before people because there will be no reward by your Father in heaven. So it continues. So verse 2, so when you give to the needy, do not announce with do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I've wondered, now I looked this up, and it didn't, there was only one place that I saw that referred to this. But did you see when it says, when you give to the needy, don't, what's the first thing he says? Don't do this. Nope. He says, don't announce it with what? Trumpets. Now, I don't know anybody, I don't know anybody that does that nowadays, that gives, and when, when the plate is, you know, could you imagine somebody, you know, just bringing a recorder even, you know, or a little flute or maybe a trumpet, you know, that when the plate goes to them and... But I do wonder if this statement is where we get the saying that they are tooting their own horn. You've heard that expression, right? They toot their... And you notice later on, years later, Shakespeare even said that. He, he said that people are doing that through their merits. They're, they're blowing the trumpets of their merits. And I wonder if it stems from here. But he says, when you do this, don't let your right hand and your left hand, like, don't let your, your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Now, I, I had to search that out a little bit. And, I, and the only thing I could find, like, why would Jesus say that? So there was a, there is believed to have a, an ancient... Uh, Arabic saying that your right hand is your perfect complement to your left hand. And they are like best friends. And some wonder, some, some of these scholars think that maybe Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter how intimate that person is to you. Keep it a secret. You don't need, they already are your best friend. You don't need them to think higher of you than they already do. Now, there were, there were other scholars that actually, and I like this, this idea even better, that said, you know, the right hand and the left hand, they, they share the same brain. So obviously, the left hand would know what the right hand's doing. But what they were saying is that this is so second nature that the left hand isn't even thinking about it. 
The brain, it's not something you think about. You know, when I, let me say it this way. When I started playing tennis uh, and I was taking lessons, my tennis coach said, this will be very hard and mechanical for you for thousands of strokes. You, you will, at least for the first few hundred, you are going to have to think of where to step, where to, where to be. But after a while, when you look at these guys that have been playing for years and years, do they think, oh, I need to take seven steps here, step forward here, bend my knees? No. It's second nature. And that's what they were saying is, the reason why he's not even acknowledging this is because it happens all the time. It's like brushing your teeth, like washing your face. So you don't have to tell him. He already knows. That's what you do because of the object. You want to help somebody. I just thought that was so cool when I was reading that. There was, a, there was an old, uh, uh, I, I used to watch Seinfeld. I don't watch it that much anymore, but you know this, the, the show Seinfeld, you know, that there were, there were four main friends. You know, there's Jerry, which is what it's named after, Jerry, and then there's Kramer, who's the crazy one, and then there's Elaine, and then the, the short, stocky, bald man was George. And I remember there's one episode where he goes to this pizza delivery or this pizza shop and he gets his pizza. I think it's pizza or he got a sub or something. And there's a tip jar. So and the guy's right there and he puts the money in the tip jar. But at the time he puts it in there, the guy turns away. Well, that didn't go well. So he grabs the money out and waits for the guy to come back. And so, again, and the guy turns away again. It's like, oh. Finally, as he's got his hand in the tip jar again, the guy looks and thinks he's stealing. You know, and he kicks him out. But I do wonder if, if that's what, what Jesus is saying here. Is do you tip for recognition? Do you want to be seen for all your good deeds? Do you care more about your reputation than suffering people? Maybe that's the question. See, the thing is, is as long as people know that you are donating to them and their cause... Not all of the glory goes to the Lord. Do you understand that? The only way that all of the glory goes to the Lord if it's totally secret. Actually, sometimes I even wonder if sometimes we corporately steal glory from the Lord. Our church does this. And we try to sort of push our church out there, how good our church is. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily bad, but I wonder if sometimes we steal glory even corporately from the Lord by doing this. I know we do it individually. Now, if you would have read more of the story about the old miser, they found out later that he, that he didn't want to give also with, him, with them knowing that it was him 
because he didn't want them to feel like, like they owed him anything. And you know that it happens. Maybe that's something else I, that Jesus is saying here is, if you give and people know that you gave to them, there is some kind of superiority that happens here. There is a feeling that, they, that I owe them and also maybe that, hey, they owe me. At least, hey, you owe me a thanks. You owe me something. And he was eliminating that from his life. So let's go to the next part. So that was the giving part. Remember, the, first, the context was, be careful that your acts of righteousness, uh, that you don't do your acts of righteousness before men. So verse 5. And when you pray, don't do like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in synagogues and street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. By the way, you'll notice, it says they have received their pay in full in verse 2. They have received their pay in full or their reward in full. And also you'll find out in verse, uh, I believe it's in 16, they have received their reward in full. How many of you says reward? They have received, verse 16, uh, verse 5, I believe it is, and verse 2. That word is misthos in Greek. And what it means is they have received what they earned. That was a wage. They actually earned their reward. Now the thing is, is no matter what, there will be a reward. Now, if you want it by men, go ahead. But guess what? Moths and, and rust and whatever will just eat at it. But he says they have gotten everything that they deserve because they've boasted of it. But he says this. Don't do this. Don't, do, don't babble like the pagans. And then he goes, but I'm going to tell you how to really pray. And you know this. Our Father in heaven, and I'm going to just read it from here, but you, you know how we probably grew up with it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then you probably know the rest, which is believe that it was supplied later. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Do you notice there weren't very many words in that prayer? He said, just keep it short and sweet. Let it have a point. I want to read just two of the testimonies. If you know who this lady Ellen White is, she, she writes a, a couple of things that I take to heart about public prayer at least. She says this, according to this text, Christ impressed on his disciples the idea that prayers should be short, expressing just what they wanted and no more. He gives the length of their substance of the prayers, expressing their desires for temporal and spiritual blessings and their gratitude for the same. How comprehensive this, sam this sample prayer is. It covers the actual need of all, one or two minutes is long enough for any ordinary prayer. One or two minutes. Have you ever been 
Have you ever been to a service where it's been a sermon of a prayer? Actually, she says this in Testimony 5. When you pray, be brief. Come right to the point. Do not preach the Lord a sermon in your long prayers. If you want that quote, I'll give it to you later. <laughs> Don't preach to the Lord. He knows the desires of your heart. Just tell him what you need. Tell him what you want. Keep it short. Don't be tedious. Don't babble on. He knows. There's a little section in here right after, and he says, but if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you will not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And it seems that it's sort of out of the, it sort of sticks out like a sore thumb when he's saying all this stuff about their rewards. But this part right here, I think he's saying, all, all of you are concerned about what's on the outward part. I'm going to pray out loud. I'm going to give out loud. All these kinds of things. And he said, but the inside, the most important part is your heart. Do you remember what, is, what did it say? What did he say concerning David? You know, everybody, humans, look at the outward part, right? But the Lord looks at what? At the heart. He says, you're doing all this stuff, but a lot of you are harboring anger and sins and unforgiving hearts towards people. He said, before you even come to this prayer part, make sure that you're ready to let go of some of the stuff that you're holding on to. And then he says, when you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. As you probably know, some of these people, and it carried out actually all the way into the Middle Ages, people would act as if they were attending a funeral while they were fasting. And this was a sign of piety to whip themselves to wear sackcloth and ashes, to signify I am humbly serving the Lord and I am fasting before him. And he says, don't do this. Instead, put oil in your hair. For us, it might be gel or mousse. I don't know. Wash your face. Look happy. You're a Christian. You have been saved by the grace of Jesus. If you fast, that's cool. But act happy. We should be the happiest people on earth, right? And that's all he's saying. And then he ends with this. He says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, I wanted to, there's a really cool thing that happens in the prayer part. And that, you notice, that's the middle section. It says, when you go and pray, you pray in your room. 
And that word in your room, or if it says closet in some of yours, it is temeon. Can you say that, temeon? And that word that's translated room actually means the room where you store your treasure. It's sort of like a safe, because back then you didn't have safes, like, you know, safes like we have. You had rooms, and you would, lock, you would lock your treasures up in a room. And it was this. And what he was saying here is, when you go into your treasure room, may your treasure room be truly about connecting with the Lord. That is the most important thing. Don't be ones that need recognition all the time. Don't seek for that. Go to your treasure room. Seek the Lord. Don't let your right and your left hand know what each other's doing. And make an impact for the community of Christ. And then you will store treasures in the kingdom of heaven. Yevareka Adonai Vaishmareka, Yair Adonai Panavalecha Vichoneka, Yesa Adonai Panavalecha Vayasem Lecha Shalom. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Father, we ask that the Spirit of the Lord is upon us. May our hearts be turned to you. Father, may you search me out. May I not be one who seeks any recognition, but may I be only the one who gives glory to you. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I just wanted to let you know before we go, since we did, we're doing something a little bit different here. You notice that the, there were two deacons that walked back there that way. What we are going to do, oh, you were stashing the candy. Uh, what we're going to do is, as you guys leave, and that doesn't mean you have to leave, leave, because I think we're going to do an afterglow after this, so you will leave and then come back. But if you have an offering to give, there are two men standing back there. I just want to do a couple of announcements real quick. As you know, where's Rob at? Oh, Rob is back there. Rob will be leading. There is, not a, uh, there is not a church service tomorrow. Instead, he will be leading a discussion group, an adult discussion group. So if you want to come back tomorrow at 10.30, 10.30 to noon, right? Is that right, Rob? All right. And then I think everybody's going to his house for lunch. So is that correct? Okay, maybe not. Scratch that. Okay, they'll be there. He might not be. Um, do we have any other announcements other than that? No? All right. Well, let's pray, and then if you want to, you, you may leave. I ask that if you, if you do want to talk a little bit, maybe near the back, if we're going to start singing up front, okay? Father, 
I just, I ask that this truly is the opening of the Sabbath. That we do have the spirit of Christ, that we have the spirit of the Sabbath in our hearts, and that we enjoy this time. May you be glorified in our lives. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Happy Sabbath, everybody.